0: Everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Basillo, as always, joined by Joe Rasinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so you have access to all of our station's content. Please share that app with your friends. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can find us in two main places. One is um, on YouTube at The Frontline with Joe and Joe, until they take us down, of course. Um, And the other is on Twitter. So now that we we are we're thinking that Twitter is now an open platform and we could say what we need to, uh, we're Joe and I are going to swim in those waters. So at with Joe and Joe at with Joe and Joe on Twitter, please follow us there. Today we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program Doctor John Bergsma, and we're going dis- to be discussing his new book out from Tan Books, "The Word of the Lord: Reflections on the Sunday Mass Readings for Year." A Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. We had on John before talking about year C. Was that correct?
1: Correct, but just that could have been my mistake. It's not Tam Books, is it, John? That's I think my mistake. No, it's, it's, and it's Emmaus Road. Yeah, it's my bad. That's my Emmaus typo. Road. I apologize, everybody.
0: Sure, Joe. Screw me up. All right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, John mm-hmm. uh, Emmaus Road uh, Publishing that is the publishing arm for Franciscan University, is that or the St. Paul Center.
2: It's the St. Paul Center for biblical theology, right? Yeah, uh, Franciscan University has its own press. But yeah, Mayus Road is St. Paul Center.
0: All right, cool. And for those of you out there, now many of you out there know John Bergsma. Having said that, he is a professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. A former Protestant pastor, Dr. Bergsma has authored several books on Scripture and the Catholic faith, including Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls. A Catholic introduction to the Bible and other books. Dr. Bergsma speaks regularly for parish missions, diocesan conferences, clergy convocations, and other events nationally and internationally. He and his wife Dawn reside with their eight children in Steubenville, Ohio. Dr. John Bergsma, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother.
2: Hey, it's always awesome to be around with you guys.
0: Awesome. So let's get rocking. We promise. We always promise we're never going to get you in too much trouble, but I don't know. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Joe Resinello. Uh,
1: we always start with a prayer, John. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, almost Most Gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin, a virgin's our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. But Mother, the Word incarnate, despise none of petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen name of the father son holy spirit amen well john as joe said we had you on for the other year which you covered i believe it was c um i remember you telling us that you wrote these during covid i'm going to pull a joe stradamus statement i do this periodically I i think these books that you wrote are going to outlive you Honest to goodness, I really do. I think these are going to be a legacy that will be used by the church. Um, I think they're very valuable, both for the laity and the priest. So I'm um, going on record. Joe Stradamus, I do this periodically. Um, yes, I think this is a-, a legacy which will last for a long time, John.
0: And when he does that, I get nervous, <laughs> but it, it's, it's okay.
1: <laughs> but with well, that, talk about the stru- about talk about the structure of the book. How do you lay it out, the whole deal?
2: Yeah, definitely. So pretty straightforward. So this is uh, reflections, you know, Word of the Lord, reflections on the lectionary for year A. So it uh, it follows um, the cycle of readings for, uh, for year A, which is the year that we're in here now in 2023. Uh, not everybody remembers, but we're on a, a three-year rotating cycle as Catholics, where we go through Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. We're back to Matthew. Matthew's the first. He's he's A, you know, Mark's B, Luke C. Um, and uh so we're reading through the gospel of Matthew in uh the ordinary time, and then a lot of the feasts too, we're reading from Matthew. We, you know, when when Matthew has a version of whatever happened, like he's got a version of the baptism, we read his version this year. And you know, non-Catholics think that we're not about the Bible and that Catholics ignore the Bible and so on so false. Um, you know, our worship is set around, centered around reading the Gospels. And, um, you know, we really need to lean into uh, those those scripture readings. And, uh, you know, as these three-year cycles go by, really try to get to know each of these three Gospels and uh, take it close to our heart. And not only knowing the Gospel, but, you know, as Catholics, you know, we believe these these men are saints, that they're in heaven that they see what's going on, that they intercede for us. And so it's also a time to build a personal relationship with St. Matthew and call on him uh, for his prayers and intercessions because he's standing there right beside the Lord in heaven, and uh, he knows we're reading his gospel this year, and he really wants us to get to know God better. He wants us to improve in our life of discipleship, uh, in this year, so again, like I said, time to lean into that as Catholics.
0: Absolutely, and, that, and that's one thing, John Bergman, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. That really, you know, Joe and I say all the time, and and you've you mentioned it the last time you were on. We need to be, do a much better job as Catholics when it comes to Scripture. Um, it's just that simple. You want to open a Protestant's eyes as a Catholic. Show that you know something about Scripture, not in a wearing it on your sleeve type way, but just to know the basics and the fundamentals of the gospel. Just, just to take leave aside for a second the Old Testament, which could be a little, a little bit more tricky with typology and and all that. Okay, but just sticking with the New Testament, we should know these things off the top of our heads. We've all been going to Mass for however you know however long, and we should be reading Scripture, um, you know, on our own outside of what we hear at Mass. You know that really, like I said, that I think that goes a long way to dispelling this notion that we don't rely on Scripture. Um, John, who's the book intended for? Um, you know, uh, you've gotten you've gotten quite a bit of praise on this book from both priests and laity alike. So, who who is it specifically intended for? Anyone?
2: Like yeah. any group. You know, that's yeah. These uh, these commentaries on on these Sunday readings. You know, where I break down. The first reading, the psalm, the second reading, the gospel. These these began as blog posts, and they were intended for lay people. And it was it, the basically the idea was, you know, poor fa- Father Joe at your local parish, you know, he has like seven minutes if the people will give him that, you know, to explain these readings from the Word of God. And so much gets left on the field uh, by the time you get home from Mass. You know, you have these four different readings when you include the Psalm. There's so much of God's Word there. And uh, in Mass, there's, there's not the time to explore it. So I began these as blog posts for Catholics that wanted to, you know, get into their faith and understand God's Word better. I thought, here I am, a Bible scholar. I've got all this training, got all this, you know, supposed knowledge and everything. Why don't I put it to good use and try to help folks out to get into these readings more try to explain some background so it's not just like oh we got a reading from hosea well who the heck is hosea what's he talking about when is he living why do we have to like six verses from him like what's that all about you know so much of the time it's just in one ear and out the other and so i wrote these beginning as as blog posts for people to like come home from mass you know have lunch maybe sit down maybe they have a little time for prayer And maybe they can read, you know, these comments and it will give them some food for their prayer and help open up what God's trying to say uh, through his word for that for that Sunday. Well, anyway, so eventually we collected all these blog posts and and put them together into a book. Again, it was intended for lay people. But guess what? Priests liked it. So it's been selling like hotcakes to priests uh, around the country. Uh, but pick it up and it you know it gives them ideas for homilies and so on but yeah you know so obviously priests are liking it but it's really a intended for uh lay people
0: that's awesome it's it. selling like hot cakes that's what we like to hear john Bergsman. um <laughs> and if you're out there listening to us at the front line with joe and joe the book is the word of the lord reflections on the sunday mass readings for year a and that's published by Emmaus Road Publishing. John, were you, did, did I interrupt you? Were you going to say something?
2: No. I, yeah, whatever. I don't know how, how hotcakes sell, but apparently they sell.
1: I,
0: yeah, I was going to say that. I'm sure they <laughs> that's sell pretty good. Um, they must sell good. <laughs> Joe, that's what people rested <laughs> hello?
1: Uh, John, let's talk about reading scripture every day. I mean, um, Just to give some people some tips, like what I do is I have the Magnificat. I read it in the morning when I get up. Um, It helps. I read it before Sunday to Mass. You know, I go to Mass uh, when I'm in the city. I go during the day, so it also gives me an idea what's going to be said. I also read the Gospel before dinner in between – cleaning up messes and doing all this other thing. Sometimes it's interrupted with my kids, but I do read it and I have been doing that good practices. Uh, it's easy. It doesn't take long. Um, what are some other ideas outside of everyone going out and buying this book that we could read the Bible every day? Um, the mass is a good guide.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Joe, there's a lot of great reading plans out there. If, if somebody just punches in like, uh, catholic bible reading plan into a search engine uh you probably pop up with uh, two or three uh that'll come up and, and folks can print that out and kind of lay lay out a plan i mean we're still at the beginning of the year time for new year's resolutions things like that so there's a lot of different ways of you know incorporating scripture in a daily way i'll tell you what i do personally um i have a daily reading new testament uh, from Scepter Press. It's this little pocket New Testament that I carry with me. I buy, I buy actually literally hundreds of these, uh, Joe and Joe. I sell them at men's conferences and at, at parish missions. Uh, when I talk about, you know, reading the Bible and they're just wonderful because they're broken up from, from January 1st to December 31st. There's a little like three minute reading for each day and you read through the new testament in a year that way i keep several of these around i've given one to each one of my children um i have one in every glove compartment of my car um you know when we're taking a trip somewhere i'll have my son i'll say hey pull out the pull out the new testament let's do the reading for today and he'll look up you know whatever it day it is and and he'll read that to me and we'll read that together you know so that's what i do i like i said i carry one with me got one never every one in my car and then i do that that reading and i try to do that joe before my prayer time uh so that i can you know try to identify a thought out of the word of god and then bring that to my prayer and and work on that uh you know talk to the lord about that uh, in my prayer time so yeah again super simple it's a great way to get the New Testament, uh, especially uh, into our daily lives. And uh, if folks are interested in that, you know, check out Scepter Press, just like it sounds. Just search for it and uh, look at their, um, I think it's called Confraternity Edition, but it's a daily daily New Testament uh, uh, pocket uh, Bible, you know, broken up into uh, daily readings. That's a great way. You mentioned a Magnificat, Joe love the Magnificat. I subscribe to Magnificat. Uh, They send me two copies a month. You know, I leave one around the house for everybody else to look at. I take one with me. Uh, Magnificat's great too. That gives you the readings from obviously uh, mass for that day. Um, But, you know, not everything in scripture comes up in mass. And that's why I like to systematically read uh, the New Testament through with just, you know, five minutes a day
0: excellent John Bergsman joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe John talk about a little bit of of context and historical meaning um that, that, that you know of the of the readings themselves like how how are they determined? like what go you know Bree, I know that's pretty that's a question you would take a long time to answer, but in a nutshell, like you know who makes that decision and why do they make those decisions about again context and 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 the, and historical meaning of those readings.
2: Yeah. So after the Second Vatican Council, you know, the, the council fathers said, hey, uh, we really want to get back to the early church. And if you look at the the church fathers, there was much more scripture uh, in mass uh, in the time, I must say, St. Augustine and St. Chrysostom and, you know, the biggies uh, back in their day, St. Jerome. You know, so these these church fathers, they would preach through an entire Old Testament books. So. Uh, after, the, after Vatican II, the church fathers, uh, the council fathers said, hey, let's get some a lot more scripture back into the cycle for Mass. And that's where we got our lectionary, which is great, the current lectionary that we have. And so they, they took some experts, you know, who were experts in scripture and in uh, patristics, and these guys set up the, the three-year cycle. So, uh, you know, first year is Matthew second year is mark third year is luke and john is present every year especially in uh lent and the easter season so we get a heavy dose of john all the time and so uh joe you're asking like how is this set up and what you know historical context and the old testament reading so on the gospel reading basically runs the show so here we are you know christmas season is over so We're going to have the second Sunday of Ordinary Time. It's going to come up uh, this Sunday, and uh, we're going to read from John this Sunday. But then next Sunday, um, which is the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, we're going to start reading the Gospel of Matthew, which is the Gospel for the year. So the Gospel runs the show. We read more or less in order through the Gospel. Now, we can't get through the entire Gospel in the calendar year, but... What the church does is choose those unique passages, things that are only in Matthew, things that are only in Mark, things that are only in Luke for these three years. You kind of focus on those unique things. And then the Old Testament reading, the first reading, that gets chosen really to provide background for what's going on in the gospel. And what we find is that usually Jesus is fulfilling something. He's usually fulfilling a prophetic oracle. He's usually uh, completing something that Isaiah promised or is that Jeremiah promised. You know, back in the 800s B.C., 700s B.C., hundreds of years before his ministry, the Israelite prophets were looking forward in time and seeing that a Savior was going to come. And so that's usually what's going on. We we picked that first reading to provide that background And uh, you mentioned typology as well. And that's another thing, you know, obviously the Old Testament is full of stories, but the the stories and the narrative of the Old Testament is full of images, full of foreshadowing of what is to come. For example, that famous uh, episode where Abraham uh, was told to go up on a mountain and and, uh, sacrifice his son Isaac there laying on the wood of an altar at the top of a mountain. That is all a foreshadowing because that basically happened on Calvary. People don't know that. That's why you need, you know, some background and some explanation. People don't realize that that location where Abraham tried to offer his son, that's where Christ one day would be sacrificed, you know, on the mountain of Jerusalem. And uh, so anyway, so there's these, these these foreshadowings that go on. Oftentimes, you know, it goes by too quickly we don't have time to, you know, father doesn't have the time to explain it in his homily. Um, There's too much reading to, you know, process in mass, which we're trying to get done in an hour so we can get home and watch the game or something like this, you know. So it's too rushed. But, uh, you know, we really need to lean into this and appreciate it more because God is trying to tell us something, you know. If, If the president called, you know, You'd uh, well, I don't know. It depends right, on I probably wouldn't the pick it up. Yeah, I wouldn't pick that <laughs> goal up. <laughs> might, might not, yeah, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So it's important that you respect <laughs> calls on the phone. You pick it up, and God's trying to phone in to us every Sunday four times with these readings, and and we we don't give
0: him enough time to really speak to us. Absolutely. Dr. John Bergs was joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. His new book, The Word of the Lord, Reflections on the Sunday Mass Readings for Year A. That is out from Emmaus Road Publishing. Uh, So we encourage you all to, as we always say, not only to support our our Catholic authors uh, and go out and buy the book, but buy it from the publisher. Regardless of wherever else you could buy it, buy it from the publisher. That really helps out and supports the publishers so they can continue to do their work. Joe Racinello.
1: John, about 10 years ago, my pastor asked me to uh, teach the great Bible adventure that Cavens put together. I thought it was pretty good. Um, And I learned a lot about history, which I didn't know, like historic biblical history, particularly about the kingdoms. He does a really good job about like timelining everything and like... He has like almost like or charts of who belongs to what. It gave me a lot of context. Um, talk about history. I mean, you know, you're a scholar. You obviously know that and studied that. I think that gives you a lot more depth into the readings, why they're saying certain things, how they relate and such.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, meaning comes from story. Um if, if there's no big story there's no meaning i mean this is like philosophically true i could you know i know people that defend that and argue that at the highest academic levels but you have to have a story to create meaning and uh, the problem with the world nowadays is people have forgotten the story they don't realize that we're here because god made us he placed us our first parents on this planet Made us to be His children. Our first parents uh, uh, walked away from God, that plunged our whole, you know, race into uh, a mess. Uh, but Jesus has come uh, to reconcile us with God, bring us back, uh, restore that uh, that friendship that was lost by our first parents. This is what makes us Christians. We forget that story and of course this you know that's a summary of the story but the story is is deeper than that and uh and, and that's why it's so important to know the old testament because the old testament which is most of the bible uh provides that background for the ministry and the story of jesus jesus Jesus' ministry and his, his life comes at the very end of the bible if all you ever do is read the new testament i'm all for reading the new testament but if all you ever do is read the New Testament. It's like every year turning in, tuning into. Uh, it's a wonderful life, but only watching the last ten minutes, right? And so that'd be great. I mean, you know, Jimmy Stewart, you know, gets everything restored in the last, you know, ten minutes. But it's like, who are all these people, and what was the drama about? And so, so much of the time, when uh, when we go to mass and we read the gospel, I mean, it's great. Jesus performs a miracle. He has a teaching. We, we get something out of that, um, but we don't realize that he's bringing to fulfillment uh, a story that's been going on since literally the very beginning of the human race from Adam and Eve, and then through a lot of other changes, through Noah, through Abraham, the father of the people of Israel, and then through Israel's history, and um, he's, he's setting up a kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of David. You know, why do people call Jesus the son of David in the Gospels? Well, it's because there used to be this kingdom that was growing and growing, and it looked like it was going to take over the whole world. And it would have taken over the whole world, but David's uh, heirs, his successors, uh, fell into sin, and so that kingdom collapsed. But God had given these these fantastic promises to David, told him that a son of his would reign forever. Well, where where is that going? Well, Jesus is that son of David. So he comes, and so often what's going on in the gospel readings that we have for Mass is Jesus restoring and setting back up that kingdom of his ancestor David. That kingdom is holy catholic church do we do we realize that do we realize that the the roman catholic church is a kingdom you know what what are those things that bishops wear on their heads do we realize those are ancient crowns what we call a mitre that's an ancient roman crown why are they wearing those? Well, because they're princes. They are princes of the kingdom, the kingdom of David, ruled over by the son of David, who's Jesus Christ, who's ruling at the right hand of God the Father right now. Do we realize that we're in a spiritual kingdom? I don't think so. I don't think that occurs to folks, but we we need to know this background. You need to know the story. Becoming a Catholic is like getting adopted into a family, but you know, you've you've been away, you don't know the family history. And so you get adopted, that's great. You get adopted when you're 15, something like that, but you haven't been around for 15 years. And so your adoptive parents have to teach you the background and say, this is what our family history is. This is what our family culture is like. And, um, and that's true for all of us as Catholics. We have to kind of listen to what the church is teaching us because the church is teaching us our family history. So we get the story, so we get the meaning. And so we get the identity because our identity also comes from story. You know, everybody's about their identity these days. You know, my identity is this, my identity is that. You know, what creates identity is story. It's family. It's it's history. And so that, as you point out, Joe, you know, leading through that program, that great adventure program with, with Cavens, it's so effective. It's so great because it teaches... The the history, the background, the story of the family of God, and that's what we're really trying to learn, so that we can live as children of God.
0: You know, we we need to do a better job as Catholics to defend our position. Where I'm going with that? A couple minutes before the break, John Bergsma joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, you know, everybody's so willing to to swallow these. These secular theories of history, you know, Marx comes to mind, okay? So Marx had a theory of history. All of history has been a history of class struggle, okay? And there's others, and even more radical than Karl Marx. The Catholic Church in Catechism 409 states it very clearly. All of human history is a a history of dour combat between man, man and the forces of evil. Scripture tells that story. You mentioned Jeff Cavins, all right, and everything you're doing when you put together the readings, which tell this story. We need to defend and promote the idea. No, no, no. There is a story to history. The Catholic Church has it right. It's a struggle between you, okay, and the, and the one who wants to destroy you, which is Satan, and the one who wants to save you, which is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John, we need to promote that more and because we could actually demonstrate that. Now, as you could, like Marx tried to demonstrate his theory of history, the Catholic Church can demonstrate that this history, salvation history, um, is a proper way of viewing viewing human history. A couple of minutes before the break, John, talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we probably all heard, you know, New York Times has thrown its weight behind kind of rewriting American history with the 1619 Project and uh, basically tell the whole story of America as a a story of racism. Well, that's not going to promote racial harmony, uh, is it? That's going to just promote a lot of hatred in our country, I'm afraid. And uh, so not a lot of prospect there. But, you know, they understand the power of history, the power of knowing where we have come from and the power that that uh, revising that can have for the present. Well, you're absolutely right, Joe. The uh, the Catholic Church tells a story. And it tells the story of the history of the human family. And it tells the correct story uh, that points us in the correct direction. And first of all, it's a story of racial reconciliation because the, the climax of the story is when Jesus shows the true color of the human race, which is red, okay? He bleeds red from the cross because we're all the same color on the inside. We're all red in the inside and we need the red blood of Jesus Christ to save us, whether we come from Europe or from Asia or Africa or South America or whatever. And so there's a lot actually in the scriptures about bringing people together. In fact, Epiphany, which, just, which we just celebrated, that's a traditional feast in the church that is in part about racial reconciliation because the tradition is that the you know the three wise men that came to adore the lord came from three different continents and represent three different you know ethnic groups and so it's all of us together worshiping the one savior who is jesus christ and jesus christ can bring us together and he can bring us peace rather than sowing hatred and division between us not only within our country but against other countries as well so absolutely we have to have a, an understanding of where we've come from because where we've come from determines where we're going to go and what we actually get in mass uh, you know every sunday week by week is the story of the people of god is it which is in fact the history of the human race and it's trying to give us a correct picture of where we've come from and what our real struggle is which, as you point out, is sin, Satan, and uh, and death.
0: The fact is, John Bergsman, I would say, uh, and we're, we're going to take a break, I would say that if you listen to all the modern uh, versions of history, that only leads to more and more division. The gospel brings people together, and I don't think anybody could deny that at all. Let's take a quick break. John Bergsman joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing John's new book, The Word of the Lord, Reflections on the Sunday Mass Readings for Year A out from Emmaus Road Publishing. So when we come back, we are going to probably get John in a little bit of trouble. So stick around.
2: Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen
0: their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish.
1: So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Facillo and Joe Rasinello. We are way in the breach with a dear friend of the show, Dr. John Berksma. Uh, his new book is The Word of the Lord, Reflections on the Sunday Mass Readings for Year A. That is out from Emmaus Road Publishing. And we would encourage everyone out there to go out and per- purchase the book from the publisher, from Emmaus Road. Joe Rasinello.
1: John, just yesterday, uh, I was talking to my wife. We were talking about Catholics at the ballot box. We were talking about the culture right at the end of the break. And I want to bring up this conversation. She said Clinton did research on Catholics, and he knew exactly where they stood on contraception, on abortion, and that's how they basically targeted their campaign. Now, that was a while ago. Things have gotten progressively darker since Clinton. Um, And I said this to her. I've been on my block now for 9 years. I live in a solidly middle-class town in New Jersey. Polish, Italian, Irish. Um in 9 years and I'm not saying I'm better than anyone, I but I have eyes so I can make, you know, an observation. In 9 years, this includes Easter and Christmas, there are two times I saw someone going to church. Two. Two times. Once my neighbor's son just came back. he was uh, for his confirmation, and one Easter. I think my the folks right in front of us were going to church. Joe Biden is in a, is a Catholic in America. In fact, he's a better Catholic because he actually does go to church. And I bring this up because we're not our Catholic people in America. Don't view the culture through their faith they don't even go to church never mind view the culture how do we get our voice back because to be honest with you we are irrelevant to the politicians irrelevant
2: yeah yeah well you know it's uh let's look at it this way you got to take the long view and this is what jesus did right so jesus knew that um in the long run what you need to do is dig deep because going deep with people uh, has exponential effects over time so jesus did not set up you know he's got three years of a public ministry right three years to change the world uh what's he gonna do set up a bunch of crusades you know you know speak to thousands of people in rome speak to thousands of people in athens you know no that's not what he does he picks out 12 guys and he disciples them and he goes deep with them and then after he ascends to heaven those guys go out and they disciple others and they win converts and so on and so on and that's how the church grows the church grows by going deep and then replication so we have to go deep with people and that begins at the in the home it begins with discipling our own kids uh first of all you know we can't control the neighbors we can't shape their world et cetera. but we can again we can begin with their own children and shape their world so and that starts with with transforming ourselves and so each one of us has to make the faith the center of our lives okay you know and and that means really you know loving loving the faith you know i, I it, it drives me crazy to see that uh you know sporting events. Uh, receive way more attention than um, than the great feast days, you know, you, you celebrate Christ's birth, you celebrate the, the, the epiphany, you know, the arrival of the wise men, that takes a back seat to whatever's going on in the NFL, you know, uh, it shouldn't be like that. And so our homes need to, we, we need to raise our children so that what's more important to them is what are we going to celebrate this coming, you know, this coming Sunday, what event of our Lord's life or what saint are we going to focus on rather than what's happening with uh, some singer or uh, some sports star. It's not that, you know, that we can't have music or sports in our lives, Um, but we have to have a a set of priorities about what's really central to our, to our lives. So we have to, what I'm saying, Joe, is we have to work on rebuilding Catholic culture. And it starts with each one of us and it starts with our homes. It starts with training our kids and I'll tell you, you know, the two biggest enemies to this, <clears throat> to, to reviving through recreating Catholic family life, two biggest enemies that I see are marrying outside the faith and uh, falling away by sending your, well, your, your children falling away by sending them off to college uh, where they are indoctrinated in ideologies that are contrary to the Catholic faith. And there is, I see a lot of naivete about that. Uh, Joe's in uh, in Catholic culture, maybe because I grew up with my dad going to graduate school, and you know I'm a professor. I'm like I'm I'm highly aware of how hostile higher education is to the Christian faith generally, and particularly to Catholicism. Okay, so I just take it as granted that. 90% of universities are going to be aggressively hostile against the catholic faith and i would never just send my kid to xyz state u because that's like that's like uh you know playing russian roulette with their uh with their faith and you know that means you're you're putting kids into an environment where these professors have them for 40 hours in their classroom each semester and many of these professors are passionately evangelistic against the catholic faith they are evangelists for marxism or for some gender ideology or something like that so why would you pay for these people to influence your children that you paid to put through catholic school you know that you prayed with that you that you taught, etc. And then you just subject them to this for four years and so many Catholic young people fall away. So I think we gotta we gotta stop just sending our children to be indoctrinated. We have to look for alternatives, either forget college, just go directly into a trade or else go to someplace. And I'm gonna say it, Franciscan University where I teach, but there's other there's other good schools as well, Ave Maria in Florida, others, Christendom, etc send your kid if you're going to send your kid to college send them someplace that's going to support their faith and the other thing is talking to our kids before they get to dating age about the importance of dating and then marrying within the faith because so often there's like a naivete that's one of the last things that kids think about they look at somebody they're attractive this other person's attractive so i want to date that person you know i like them i get along oh are you well? I'm not Catholic. I'm Baptist, whatever. And usually that does not end well. So we have to talk about where where does dating go? Dating is supposed to lead to marriage. Then what's marriage all about? You know. And then think transgenerationally. What are my kids? How are my kids going to be raised? How are my grandkids going to be raised? And we need to talk with our kids about that when they're 11, when they're 12. You know, before they start dating, give them this vision that I want to set up a, a Catholic. Home one day. I want to have. I want my grandchildren to be in the faith. That's really important, and so that guides my decisions about who I seek a relationship with. That's 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 huge.
0: Dr. John we're joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, John, let me ask you this. Let's stay. Let's stay on the the culture war for a second. Um, so we we've had after fifty years, uh, Roe versus Wade overturned. OK, and it has been because of Catholics. And I don't care what any evangelicals want to say. Um, I love them. OK, but the fact is, you know, they came later on um, and and non-Catholics have have admitted uh, in the past. Charles Krauthammer comes to mind, Glenn Beck. They said abortion is only an issue because the Catholics kept it as an issue. Now, that's not where I'm going with it. I'm not going to ask you to comment on overturning Roe versus Wade per se. But I do, I am curious about what you think. Um, some people wanted to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade, and they thought that, well, miraculously, somehow half this country was going to ban abortions. Um, you're going to have all these red states that are going to say, "Hey, we're anti-abortion, we're abortion abolitionists." Uh, I, I'm not going to speak for Joe; I take a different um, view, and I'd like yours. Um, under Ro- you know, as long as the Roe v.ersus Wade was the law of the land, we had no voice. Okay, those who considered themselves pro-life, all you could do is march every year. Pray in front of abortion clinics. Now, here's where I'm going, John. I love your opinion. Is uh Roe versus Wade is overturned. Now, now individuals in America, you don't have any excuse anymore before God. Because guess what? Before you could blame the Supreme Court. Now you can only blame yourselves. If Arizona, where I am now, becomes a state that allows for abortion, okay. Um, now that Roe versus Wade is now overturned. Well, you can't blame anybody else now. I think it's really, here's my point, and this is what I'd love for you to comment on. I think Roe versus Wade really put forces everybody to put their cards on the table. Where do you stand on this most fundamental issue, this gravest evil in all of human history? Where do you stand on it? I know that was a little long-winded, John. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's in so many ways, the uh, the life issue is a litmus test, because what people think about the unborn in the womb usually tells them what they think about the human being, right? Um, so is that a human life, you know, and um, and does it have sacred value? And if you're an atheist, if you're a materialist, generally the answer is no, that's just a clump of cells in there, it's growing, but that kind of reveals a worldview where we're just basically material we don't have souls we don't have eternal life etc now if you're a catholic and you celebrate uh jesus christ who was conceived by the holy spirit okay so he's a human being he's a human person from conception um john the baptist who leaps in the womb when he hears the voice of the blessed mother you know showing the activity of the holy spirit on an unborn child then you follow the teaching of the church that we are human beings from conception, that we receive a soul, okay, from conception. This is, this is reflected in scripture, taught by the great doctors uh, like Thomas Aquinas and so on, that, you know, um, Pius uh, Twelfth defined this, that the soul is granted at the moment of conception. So this issue of life, of the unborn child, usually reveals people's worldview whether they think that we have souls, whether they think that we're more than material, whether they think that we have eternal life, um, whether they think that God uh, providentially guides conception, and and uh, uh, whether God intended us even before uh, we came to be, which is what the Scripture says. You know, the first chapter of the book of Ephesians talks about God. Um, thinking about us and knowing us from the very beginning of time like God the father knew that John Bergsman was going to be here and Joe and Joe were going to be here and everyone listening was going to be here okay that worldview that we call that sanctity of life that there is a sacredness about every human being okay that is revealed when this issue of of the life in the womb of abortion is pressed and that's why it, it's so Is so important. That's why it's, you know, it's not just one among a basket list of political issues, like how shall we set the minimum wage or how many people shall we let into the country every year and so on. You know, it's not like that. It it is a a unique issue in this way because so much uh, follows downstream of whether or not you believe that the life in the womb is sacred. And so, yes, absolutely, Joe, what what happened is now since since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, it's become a street fight in every state. OK, it's become a brawl, a, a political brawl. And I don't know, I, I, th- I think some of us were naive and thought that, well, Roe v. Wade is going to fall and things are going to get better in certain ways. It's gotten worse because yes. now it now it's like hand to hand political combat. In every state, as every state tries to hash this out, and even down to the community level as well, so we gotta, uh, you know, pull on our big boy pants and uh, get ready to have to speak out um, as Catholic Christians and uh, and make our voice heard. You know, Saint Josemaria emphasized. Many s- saints have emphasized this. Look, we're citizens like anybody else. It's not like you're more of an American if you're secular or you're more of an American if you're an atheist or something. No. Hey, we we come to the table, too, as Catholics, and uh, our our beliefs are, yes, uh, enlightened by Scripture, but they are the way things are. It's not like, oh, the baby is only a human life if you're Catholic. No, right, the right. baby is a life, whether you believe in God or whether you don't thanks be to God, he sends us his scripture and he sends us his church to enlighten our minds and help us as Catholics to realize that it's a human life. But regardless of what you believe, that is a human life there. That's just objective truth. And so we as Catholics have to stand up and say, it is objectively true. No matter what your background is, it is just a point of truth that that child is a human life. And so it deserves the protection of the laws.
0: And one thing we have to do, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Racinello. One thing we have to do is stop letting, yes, them, all right? When you're trying to destroy my soul and my family and my friends and draw people to hell, yes, this is an us and them proposition, okay? And what I mean by them is the secularists and the atheists. We have to stop allowing them to bully us out of the political square, out of the public arena. The default position of the United States Constitution is not atheism or secularism okay and we allow that catholics in particular it bothers me beyond belief that we allow them to get away with that say well if you come from a religious point of view you can't really sit at the table why your atheism makes you more qualified to determine what what policy positions we should have in america we have to stop allowing them to frame that argument that if the source of my belief is because as you said john bergsma that all human beings are made in the image and likeness of god well but objectively whatever I believe, they're still a human being. And I have the right to sit at that table and argue not only on abortion, but on many, many of these other issues. We have to stop allowing ourselves to be bullied. So uh, let me, John, let me hand it over to Joe Resonillo.
1: We talked in the uh, other segment about prophets. In the Old Testament, the prophets pointed to Christ. In many cases, they even predicted exactly how he would be. Isaiah did. Um, It's almost scary in a way. I think dads are prophets. I say this because I constantly am telling my children, listen to me. And then when something goes wrong, what I always say is, do you notice what I said happened? Do you notice? I say that all the time, just to point it out. Do you notice what I just said was going to happen happened? Well, as Catholics, there have been prophets. We've had popes, Leo the 13th. Pius IX, Pius X, John Paul, Paul the VI. There have been philosophers, Kierkegaard, authors, Huxley, C.S. Lewis. They lay it out, and we ignore them. We ignore them, and then it happens to the letter, to the letter. I say this because we are clearly in a spiritual battle right now. Many people say it. I went to uh, the Adoration Chapel I go to right in there. It was a, a book talking about prayers for America, to save America. This is in a very blue-collar town. It's not like I'm going to Oxford where people are like seeing into the future and figuring out physics on the board. Um, God sees this. It's playing out, John. We're ignoring it. And to be honest with you, I don't think I, – I think – we're in a bad way. I'll be truthful with you. It scares me. It really does. What are your thoughts on that? Because to be truthful, I'm not saying the world is going to end. We're in the muck up to our eyes and people are just, they think it's they are perfect. It's perfectly fine. Everything's good. Including voices within the church. I, I, I don't see mm-hmm. it as perfectly good. <laughs> I, I think we're in a lot of trouble.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I share all those feelings. I would just say, you know what? Uh, we at the same time, we cannot allow these forces, okay, and remember, uh, our real enemy is, is not other persons, okay? Like at, at the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul reminds us, our true combat is against the powers and principalities, and what he means by that is the demonic forces, Okay. The, the evil one, Satan. And yes, there is an actual Satan. And no, it's not because I'm crazy. And, uh, you know, I'm uneducated or something like that. Uh, all the the past, the past six popes and, and all the way back before that, you know, have been emphasizing the reality of the evil one, you know. People think that Satan's a joke until somebody that they know gets possessed. And then where do people go when you got a real case of possession? Everybody knows where to go. You gotta find a Catholic priest. All right. And then and then all that, all the all the secular bunk goes by the wayside until until the priest exercises this person. So uh Satan is real. Uh demons are real, and there is a spiritual combat going on, and our our political battles are often a proxy for a spiritual conflict for the soul of our nation. So that's absolutely right. What I wanna say though is we cannot uh, allow everything to get us down and dour. I, I totally sympathize. I have fears. It looks dark to me, but if we, if we capitulate to um, pessimism, if we capitulate to darkness, then the other side wins, okay? So, what are, what are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace. So, that's got to focus on that. We're baptized sons of loving Father. The worst thing that can happen to us is that they kill our body, and then we walk straight into the arms of our loving Father in heaven for eternity. Not a bad de- deal, okay. If that's the worst that can happen to you, is that you begin uh, a life of eternity early. You know, I'll I'll take those odds. I'll take. Well, that John, option. didn't
0: G- didn't Jesus himself say, "Don't fear the man that could that could take your that could kill your body. Fear the man that could kill you and and send you to hell."
2: That's right. Yeah, and he was speaking about God. All right. So that's right. Not so Nancy let's fear Pelosi. God.
1: Not, Nancy yeah, Pelosi.
2: Yeah, not Nancy Pelosi. Not Nancy Pelosi. That's right. Let's, let's fear god and not, not fear human beings and not let him get us down I'm, all, I'm serious we need to be constantly you know the there's another line in scripture that says the joy of the lord is your strength and there's a famous ex, uh, episode in second chronicles where one time the army of israel won an entire battle simply by singing praise songs they went out went out to battle uh being led by the priests and levites in songs of praise, and God fought the battle before they even got there, and they just, you know, arrived and saw the 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 enemy lying on the ground. So, uh, so let's focus on staying joyful in the midst of this, staying confident, uh, keeping in mind that eternal life is our goal. Now, uh, but what you say is very true. Uh, we are facing a spiritual uh, battle for the soul of our nation, and it's being reflected in our our. Uh, political operations. Uh, yes, we need to speak out. Yes, we need to stand up as citizens. We need to run for office, even in our local communities. I mean, it is it is a uh, you know a, a grassroots thing. This, this that has trickle up effects throughout the political uh, environment. You know, so we need to step up and be on our a local school board. We need to be active in all of those things. But even more importantly, we have to apply the, the spiritual methods and that's prayer and fasting too. This is a, a spiritual practice that we have gotten away from. Uh, and that is uh, you know actually denying ourselves. Um, our Lord did this, our Lord fasted and prayed. The saints have fasted and prayed. And we've gotten so cushy, we've gotten so soft. And I know Lent's not yet, but we can get started already. You know, we can set aside a day of the week and Friday is a good day to do it where we deny ourselves in some way and even step it up and make it a little bit challenging. Okay, we would we could all probably stay our waistlines could probably all stand. To do without food for one day a week, it wouldn't kill us, okay? And probably would, but actually, probably extend our lives and make us healthier if uh, if we would if we would fast and pray because that has spiritual power. When God's people begin to pray in a in a intentional way, and then also denying themselves comforts and uh, consolations. Then the Holy Spirit really begins to be unleashed, and we we uh, begin to experience spiritual power in these kinds of conflicts.
0: I, I'm I'm glad you said all of that, John Burks, But we do have to remember that. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times people think that oh, we must be living in the worst time in human history. Well, it may it may it may very well be, but but as far as it goes, persecution, um, you know, outright, you know, martyrdom. Well, that's happened many times in, in the history of the church, and what you mentioned about peace and joy, I always have as an image in my head: perpetual felicity. They, you know, in each other's arms as they're about to get their throats, throat cuts, throats cut by the Romans. Uh, they were joyful. They were going to the Lord, uh, and they and they both knew it. And I think that needs to be our attitude. Um, I'm not saying we're gonna we're not we're not getting our throats cut in the public square yet, but if it was to go that far or somewhere close to it. Remember, as you said, we have Jesus. How can we we possibly, possibly go wrong? John, we only have about two minutes left, three minutes left. I'm going to hand it over to Joe real quick.
1: I think everything you said, and I just want to piggyback on something. You talked about grassroots level. You talk about, say, going, you know, running for school board, standing up. You will never be able to do that unless you fast and pray. See, this is where I think people miss out on, like, they get ahead of themselves because – you become, in the eyes of many people, a freak. You will never be able to do what God asks you to do unless you have a prayer life and you fast. Never. I'll defend that against anyone. You'll never do it. And if you notice, all the people that do do it, saints particularly, that's what they do. It's like an iceberg. You only see the top. Underneath it, it goes real deep. Talk about that because I think we get ahead of ourselves.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, one of my, my favorite passages, and it's unique to the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter three, when when Jesus uh, calls the first uh, disciples to himself, he calls the twelve, you know, to himself, and it and it gives three things that he calls them to do. Uh, the first thing it says he he called them first of all to be with him, and then to preach. And then to cast out demons, and it's really in that order. the The first thing is always to be with him, you know. And for the disciples, that man, you know, being in the proximity of Jesus Christ, I mean like living with him, sleeping with him, like this, uh, this, this show that you know is is, is all over media. The chosen, I, I like it. It's it's great. And it portrays that, you know, these people living with Jesus. What does that mean for us, though? Well, Jesus is present for us in the sacraments, and he's present in prayer. So things like going to daily mass, receiving Jesus on a daily basis, going to adoration where you literally see Jesus in adoration and you can spend time with him and then speaking to him in prayer, that is being with him and that's foundational to the other things, to the preaching and the casting out of demons. And we're dealing with a situation like, yeah, we're trying to we're fighting for the soul of the of the of the country and this is this is a, a demonic battle this is you know it's it's good for, versus evil it is spiritual warfare and so you're absolutely right you know thank you for pointing that out you know like the tip of the iceberg we got to go deep and that means being deep in prayer and the sacraments and That union with Jesus Christ, who is king of the universe, that union with Jesus Christ, king of the cosmos, is what gives people the power to stand up and face down ridicule, humiliation, persecution, criticism, cancellation, and so on, and win in the end, and win in the end, and transform cultures,
0: and save souls, and save lives. Dr. John Bergson, we have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we ran out of time, but it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. All of you out there, please go buy John's new book, The Word of the Lord, Reflections on the Sunday Mass Readings for Year A, and that's available at Emmaus Road Publishing. John, thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to have you on. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. You got it. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app, share it with your friends. And the other, if you like what Joe and I do, uh, the Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and share. And on Twitter, you can find us at at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe. Follow us there. Um, And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.